The first step to building a community is to figure out who are the first set of folks that are really passionate about what your brand stands for. That's what Naya Sagi, co-founder of Good Glam Group, has to say about leveraging community to build a business. Welcome to the Leap Dot Club podcast, fireside chats with industry leaders across domains. In this episode, we talk to Naya about how to build a business at every stage, from finding the right target audience and creating a product market fit to even riding the pandemic wave and using investors. Tune in to hear how community can be a force for rapid growth. Uh, today we have Naya Sagi all set to chat with us on driving community-led growth for businesses, uh, a subject I am obviously very, very passionate about as well. Uh, I'm sure most of you are actually familiar with Naya. This is all that she's kind of accomplished, but I'm going to do a quick introduction for those of you who aren't. Naya is the co-founder of the Good Glam Group, India's first content-to-commerce unicorn. She started Baby Chakra in 2015 and has since grown to great heights, including, by the way, becoming a case study for Harvard Business School. Baby Chakra then merged with the Good Glam Group in 2021, and she's been on the forefront of making 11 acquisitions, I, I think I've got that right, in the last 19 months. And she's also the CEO at the Good Community. Outside all the good that she does at Good Glam Group, she is also an active angel investor and loves investing in women-led businesses, including, by the way, some of our members. Another fun fact about Naya is that she joined us for a women in business panel discussion last month at the Leap Affair in Bombay, where she spoke a lot about all the risks that she kind of took in her founding journey the village that built her, and of course, what it is like to maintain culture at scale. So we're very, very thrilled and ready to double click on all of your experiences, Naya. We're so excited to have you here. It's really my pleasure, Ragini. And I mean, it's amazing to see faces on the screen. I was telling Ragini and the team earlier, I mean, um, I'm really passionate about communities and about building communities. And I think this is an important community. So I'm really happy to be part of the discussion today and the conversation today. Okay, awesome. We have the next one hour. And before we jump in, Naya, in classic Leap.club style, we're going to actually get started with a very quick fun game of rapid fire, just to kind of get to know you a little bit better before we, of course, dive into your learnings journey and all the struggles that come with it. Ready? When sure. I uh, do, do I get a hamper? Um, <laughs> I would uh, like to say yes, but the answer is no. <laughs> That's all right. I'm just kidding. Go for it. Good. Uh, what is the toughest thing about being a founder? I think the loneliness sometimes. Mm. Book <laughs> to my heart. <laughs> Your favorite book of all time? There are actually two. I love the hard things about hard things, as every founder will say, but I also love Shoe Dog. Okay. Amazing. The biggest challenge you faced while coming back to work after maternity? I think the physical pain, I had a C-section while giving birth to Arya. And I, you know, I remember still like kind of hobbling back. And I remember like the steps that are probably like I think 20 steps from the lift to my office, but those being the longest steps of my life uh, for the longest time uh, while yeah. I was recovering. Wow. What's the one productivity hack you personally vouch for? Calendaring everything. Down to date night yeah. with my husband. Yeah. Including calling your parents. I think that's a big one for me as well. Yeah, that's not actually calendar as with the frequency it deserves. So I need to do that better. 
an essential skill for building great communities empathy an unpopular opinion you hold about women at the workplace women don't need mentors they need sponsors hustle or balanced living balanced living now <laughs> i find in paris <laughs> work from home or work from the office so work from home for very very deep work and office obviously for everything collaborative what's one misconception about a woman building a company that she's building a family at work i find that honestly like quote unquote bullshit <laughs> your illustrious career in one word serendipitous and lucky two words <laughs> okay that was fun and very very rapid if i had a hamper you would definitely get it uh but naya actually let's get into your journey now and i think for everyone who's joined us we're going to open the floor for questions in just a bit so please start putting them on the chat box uh like reena has said and we will ask you to unmute and ask naya your question directly okay uh then let's dive right in i think naya you've of course had quite a journey right i think uh, right from calcutta to law to mckinsey to hbs to starting up and you know i think very interestingly when we were researching about you i think we realized that you were not a mother when you started baby chakra right um so i'm very very curious and i'm sure everyone is what was that one pivotal point that moved you to cater to this audience at that point of your career um you know so it's not one pivotal point ragini actually it's more a series of i think just experiences so um you know when i was actually at mckinsey i did a lot of work in maternal and child health okay. i had the gates foundation in india build out the child uh, maternal and child health uh, strategy for india which we scaled from one small sort of area in bihar to five states across the country mm. and i think that's the first time i actually saw and experienced the problem that people face when they become mothers right or when they're pregnant i hadn't experienced that before right i mean naturally um and it stayed with me it was a it was a it, it's actually a time where where you if you create an effective intervention you're actually changing the lives of the next generation and you're actually impacting the health outcomes of the women giving birth right so it stayed as a time of extremely high impact with me i think the second thing that kind of accelerated and made me very convinced this is a space i want to work at because i'd experienced this in villages and in you know smaller uh, towns then i saw my sister become pregnant and i realized that you know like she's a corporate lawyer right she's got the best law school is extremely confident for the first time in like i saw her very closely up becoming very um underconfident of her choices and that made me angry i was like what the hell i mean you know she's so accomplished so educated right pregnancy is a new journey and she's getting so many opinions but there's no one place she can go to to really get her doubts cleared and to get personalized advice where she feels empowered to make her own choices so i think that kind of stayed with me uh, and i think that really was the cusp that said okay you know if she's facing this there must be millions of women who are you who have access to the internet who could probably make better choices for themselves how do we solve for that and that led to baby chakra and how was month one Month one was insane. I think month one was actually uh, trying to figure out what domain names we could even have, and yeah. we were thinking of something that could go with baby. And I remember like doing this. You know, we had this little whiteboard in my dining, like near my dining table at home. There were two of us that point in time brainstorming on the domain names and putting down like baby, baby something, butler, baby, whatever, some nonsense. 
And then baby Chakra happened to be open as a domain name. We said, okay, let's snatch it. Let's go with it. And then we started sort of building a story around the brand name, right? So that was month one for you. Month yeah. one was also, of course, about saying, okay, what's the kind of team? What's the kind of org structure you want to build out to really take this mission forward? Yeah. So month one was a lot about ideation, a lot about also, of course, consumer conversations. Uh, talking and, you know, I, I've shared the story m- multiple times before, but we literally have done coffee chats with more than 600 mums while setting up Baby Chakra, right? Because it's important to understand what they need because that's the consumer demographic we're building for, right? We're not building it for ourselves. Yeah. So I think that really helped set up base month one, month two, month three. You know, you, you spoke very interestingly about uh, those 600 conversations and, and really, really having that trust in some sense, right? Um, what point do you think trust becomes a very important aspect of the community? And how do you find yourself kind of nurture that as you scale? Because of course, the first 600 conversations are in comparison, of course, easier, but you've gone from hundreds to thousands to lakhs, so on and so forth, right? So how do you maintain that at scale? I mean, that's something that we struggle with also at Club, right? You know, I think think trust is actually an equation, right? There's actually a trust equation. If you Google it on the internet, it's actually an equation that exists, right? Uh, But I think it boils down to three elements at the heart of it, right? One is that when you're reaching out to people, with a certain commitment, are you keeping your commitments to them later at, and at different points in time? You know, there are people who've been Baby Chakra members and who we are now, for instance, we're looking for community champs, right? Uh, for some of the initiatives they're doing. They remember interactions they've had with Baby Chakra like five, six years earlier. And we've maintained our brand promise and our commitment to them as individuals and as a brand. So I think that whole piece about maintain, talking about what you stand for and maintaining that commitment right? I think it's one piece and longitudinally, right? The second is saying more no's than yeses to things. I think that's super critical. We've said no when we were struggling as a venture to, you know, gripe water companies, to companies who were trying to, you know, kind of look at certain products, which we truly believed in our heart were not the right answers for mothers and kids, right? We're not doctor wetted, right? So we've said more no's than yeses. So when things came through Baby Chakra, and even today, when they come through our communities, we know that literally we can stand by them, right? Because we're clear on why they find way into our community, right? Saying more no's than yeses. I think the third piece is always putting communities first, right? When you're co-creating and community at the heart of it is co-creation as an activity, right? You're co-creating with a group of amazing, amazing mission-aligned individuals. That's what community is, right? When you're co-creating with them, when you acknowledge the efforts that they are putting in and when you recognize and when you uh, give it that value, Right. So, for instance, we've done our best at different points in time to give people, our community members, opportunities, be it like revenue opportunities or be it like step up opportunities or job opportunities or visibility opportunities or personal brand building opportunities. Right. Based on the contributions they give to us or to the community overall. Right. So I think that's a really important part of co-creation with communities where you acknowledge people's efforts and give them uh, the acknowledgement that they do. Right. Versus just like saying, hey, this is like something that we came up with. So I think these are the three elements that really build trust, you know, consistency to commitment, right? Saying more no's than yeses and acknowledging, you know, worth and value where it's due. Got it. Uh, You know, there's a lot of chatter on the chat box uh, on engagement, which is, of course, something that we can't take away from uh, communities, (laughs) right? What, What do you think? And I think Bhavna has this question. What are some of the most successful strategies that you've seen? Um, that have, you know, maybe worked for you to encourage users to proactively engage. Because, uh, you know, in the beginning, I think what we've also noticed is people are very, very active. 
and that then it kind of starts dipping right and of course the last 2 3 years so much has changed like literally so much has changed so what's worked for you what's not worked for you would would love to kind of deep dive on that a little bit you know i think uh, fundamentally the heart of it there are uh, some uh, and by the way i also learn from my teams right i also learn by talking to community members so what i'm sharing is not what i have done it's probably an amalgamation of what we've all experienced and learned through time right Yeah. I think uh, the first piece is I say this a lot, and this is something that I have <laughs> put into place. But I think meet communities at the watering holes, right? Many times we try to shift behaviors and say, "Hey, come onto my app or come onto my mobile website," right? Why? I mean, communities already have natural points of, uh, you know, meeting, right? I mean, an exact classic example is WhatsApp is one one of one of those points, yeah, right? Yeah. People are already familiar with WhatsApp, right? So why are you trying to right. shift behaviors from natural uh you know ways of interaction and formats of interaction and platforms of interaction meet them where they are and create a solution there you know we rely for instance doctors chambers right for mothers were a very natural point of uh meetups and conversations right and a good like trust building point right so we did a lot of work very early on in building communities of doctors out at devi chakra right so we have more than 10000 doctors now as part of our community right so watering holes i think is a very key concept right where are people at naturally and therefore where can you as a community build a meet them at right yeah. the second piece i think that's really important in building engaging communities is you know while i said a community is a lot about empathy it's also a lot about science right so we actually track every metric and you know we have like a, and the i'm so proud of my community managers now because while they started off like maybe with different backgrounds and didn't really have exposure to data and to understanding insights from data today everybody reads data talks data understands data and insights and trends right Yeah. and the very basic ones to start off with is of course your you know your acquisition funnel and all come later but you're talking about engagement retention referral right so you're looking at these three pieces because if your referral growth trajectory is small people are referring more people to your community right yeah. you know that something is working right yeah. so you're looking at engagement and retention and then referral being a very important piece in the early days of community building then you look on to acquisition you could like top of funnel right where are you getting people from and you look at onboarding right so you look at all of these pieces at the very end of the community metric is where you look at conversion to an outcome now in our case it might be conversion to buying a product or to let's say buying a subscription or whatever that might be right so yeah. you layer it out and you basically measure at each phase of every like micro community you're building out how you sort of how these metrics are panning out because these are very core health metrics yeah i think the third thing that leads and therefore then you kind of tweak your strategy accordingly your crm changes or your uh, a community engagement calendar changes or whatever right it all changes right and i think the third piece is actually leading to a point where community engages best but community is actually engaging itself right so the extremely important thing is that while in the early days you are setting up the community engagement calendar and you're kind of uh, you know putting in seeding in community engagements yeah. how are you figuring out the community champs the power users the people who are really yeah. mission aligned and passionate about what you're building right we have a community called the glam fam community which is all about inclusive beauty we open it up for glam fam champs right and we've had such amazing applications in from people saying you know what i'm traditionally considered dark skin so my mission in life is to make every dark skinned woman feel super confident about herself and her skin that's why i want to be a glam fam champ right yeah. or for sorora circle you know women coming in and saying hey you know i actually went to pcus and it was a really really traumatic experience for me right i want to tell people how to handle it and that's my mission in life Yeah. Right, so you have to figure out a community champions and have them run the community, because yeah. that's when it gets really engaging and really authentic, yeah. uh, versus seeding it all the time yourself. Yeah, scale it till it's not scalable. 
Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think very interesting, and you spoke about metrics, right? And which is, I think, the core of engagement. Um, so beyond the retention and referrals and NPS, and you know, I think all of these metrics that we can kind of measure, I'd love to know how do you measure what's not measurable, right? And what I mean by that is, how do you measure member love, right? In in our case, sure, we'll make a website and say, oh my god, this is all the love that we get, right? But how do you truly, truly measure that? Because I also feel like. <laughs> As we scale, right? I think when we, at least in, in our case, when we were 30 or 100 or 1000, it was relatively easier. And today, I think when we're at 15,000, we're just like, how do we measure it? Because beyond a certain point, no matter how many people you have in the team, that, that personal connect, for example, is not there, right? So how do you measure the member love? How do you me measure the member trust? And how do you make it better? You know, at the heart of it, at the simplest level, I mean, referrals is a great way to measure it, right? Because yeah. if people are organically referring, yeah. Uh, you know, people are putting their names behind a certain referral, right? And I think many times, I think, you know, of course, you can gamify referrals. But, you know, frankly, there's also something to be said about, um, you know, especially communities like this, right, which are extremely high trust based communities. If let's say, you know, one of our like Shivani is sending out a referral invite, she's putting her name behind it, yeah. right? So she doesn't want to be taken lightly, yeah. right? So I think that is a very strong indicator and a measurable indicator of, of member love. But, you know, I think the real... Um, joy of member love is experience in the wild uh, you know so for instance like you know you're suddenly part of another very random whatsapp group conversation or at the airport and people come up to you and say oh i love the glam fam oh i love baby chakra yeah. right oh wait did i see you on uh, the sirona circle oh wait were you part of the organic squad meetup now that is magic in the wild when people are coming up and not just to me but let's say to someone else and basically professing their love for something Right. Yeah. Or you see social media posts up about like something amazing that happened to them thanks to a community. I'll give you an example. Right. We have this lady who was extremely um, uh, who wasn't part of any community, actually, because she was very withdrawn. And she says, I'm an introvert, but she became part of our Serona Circle community where she got introduced to the idea of coming for a breast health checkup as a meetup that we were putting together. Now, random, but somehow she showed up for it and imagine something as almost like quote-unquote invasive as a breast health checkup as a meetup conversation but she felt safe enough through the conversations the whatsapp group and the app to come out for this yeah she actually discovered that she had a lump in her breast okay. right and that has prompted it's, it's not malignant it's all checked out okay but that has prompted her to be one of our most vocal advocates to for two things women's health in general yeah. right and regardless of the kind of personality type you are to take out time for yourself yeah. Right. And number two, the fact that the Sirona Circle is such a safe, secure place for women to really find the time in a, you know, in a non-judgmental space to talk about health issues. Right. So a lot of our referrals have come through her because like she's just gone organically and spread the word with everybody. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the kind of stuff you can't measure. It's maybe one story out of maybe like a thousand. Right. But like that one story has created disproportionate impact. Yeah. And that's what we work towards anyway. Exactly. That's what we work towards. That's yeah. exactly what we work towards, right? Yeah. Now, I'm going to shift gears. And, you know, I think members, we're going to pick these questions again in just a bit. But I want to shift gears a little bit um, to the founder journey, right? Which I'm, I'm sure isn't up. And for those of you who don't know, Anaya is just coming back from Paris. And then again, she's traveling for two weeks. And then she has a podcast. And there's always, always so much going on, right? And I think... You know, I think even internally in office, we keep talk about we keep talking about how it's always on, right? And in some sense, there is no off. So I want to talk a little bit about your journey, your personal journey as a founder, because 
I think Baby Chakra, of course, is a Harvard case study. So congratulations on that. But I remember it was about the acquisition that happened, right? And we'd love for you to shed some very unfiltered uh, light on the decision to actually merge Baby Chakra with the Good Glam Group. And, um, you know, I think I can only imagine as a founder, I'm sure it wasn't an easy one or wasn't an overnight one. So can you just walk us through your vision, um, your thoughts then, all, all the apprehensions um, and, you know, how, how you look at it maybe today, a um, couple of uh, months in. Yeah, a couple of years and actually years. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's been, uh, it's been quite a ride. Um, you know, I'll kind of like take you back to uh, the really tough time of March 2020 right, where I had two term sheets and I was like, yeah, we're going to like grow this. It's going to be the next big thing. And um, getting these calls from someone I was actually working on my SHA with. So it was like done, right? My deal yeah. was done uh, with an extremely well-known investor actually. And getting a call saying, hey, can we talk? And, you know, I got on the phone, yeah, sure, what's up? You know, like I'm thinking the lawyer must have said something about some little clause here and we'll sort it out. Yeah. And this person's like, hey, the deal's off. And I'm like, and I, I remember like my knees actually buckled. Uh, I still remember that moment. I just buckled, right? Um, and I had to just sit down and I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, listen, the, it's very uncertain right now. So we're kind of holding off on all our investments. Um, and, you know, the deal's off right now. Uh, we can always revisit in a couple of months. And I was like, well, in my head, I'm like, I have six months of money left in the bank. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. When are we going to revisit this, right? Yeah. Um, and then of course, like things, I mean, and, and I remember like that being like one of the worst days in my life, uh, to put it bluntly. And, you know, like I think as a founder, you know, the unfiltered version is that of course you're looking out for the company, but listen, you have a whole set of folks in the team who are looking at you, who are basically saying, okay, you know, this one's going to like get us forward to where we need to be. We have EMIs, we have kids, we have like commitments, right? So you're constantly thinking about that. And, and, you know, go back to like when COVID is just kicking off, right? It was just crazy, right? It was a really, really yeah. tough time for everybody, even emotionally and mentally and just like there was so much uncertainty, right? Yeah. So that was a really tough time. And I think it went on to another period where of course things kind of sorted themselves out because my internal investors were like, hey, we'll put together a round. And I got another commitment from an, uh, a US-based fund to come in and do this. At the same time, you know, I, you know, Ragini, you asked me the question, how do you describe your life? And I say, Sarana Fishes, right? That's yeah. the time I met Darpan. So I was putting together this internal round and I met Darpan and, you know, we were literally talking to each other. Uh, we were supposed to meet for like a 40 minute chat. He reached out to me saying, hey, would you be open to a strategic conversation? I was like, I'd love to learn more and know more what you're talking about. First, I said no to him. Then I said, okay, let's meet up. Met up with him. We had masks on our faces. Yeah. yeah. Speak of COVID. Yeah. Uh, and then we, we were supposed to meet for, I think, one hour, 40 minutes. We, we were there for four hours. And I think we just aligned very, very deeply on the vision that I think we were both kind of working towards, but from different points of view, which was how do you build a, a you know, a digital first FMCG conglomerate for the world from India, yeah. right? And using the power of content and communities. Um, so I think that is really where we kind of aligned very, very well. And after that, it was just like, I mean, once I was aligned, I, had, I was very clear that this made sense to me. I went back and told my shareholders. Obviously, there were always like folks who had a different point of view. I think that alignment and that conversation is somewhat captured in the business school case study, so I won't tell you more. Yeah. But uh, but I think after that, it was just like just getting stuff moving, getting my lawyers going, uh, and more like, you know, getting my team aligned. That was an important part of the conversation I had to have, yeah. right? Um, and I think a couple of commitments I wanted. I want my team to be safe, for instance, right? I want a no redundancy. 
So that is the one one very big part of my negotiation that I had at that point in time. There was another point which I was like, Baby Chakra, of course, is very strong in content communities, but my dream is to build out products, right? That will be in service of mothers and kids across India. How do we scale it out? So all of these points of negotiations were coming in, yeah. uh, but those were in principle line, and then we kind of move forward, right? So I think that has been my journey. Uh, the deal actually closed, I think, in four months, which was one of the fastest. I think any of the deals have closed at the Goodland yeah. Group. I can so, imagine. I mean, you you mentioned six months of money in the bank, and I was just like, how long did it take? How quick was? No, this? but you know, Ragini, what happened was that you know that six months actually interestingly stretched because hmm. I told my team I was extremely transparent with them that we don't have enough money in the bank. Yeah. Right. It is COVID times. Um. So we actually like uh, and full credit to my team. Right. Actually, we we launched some products by then, which did really well in the market. We launched three product, four products. Right. Did really well organically on Amazon, all to the power of community. Uh, you know, so they were bestsellers, um, and so that actually brought us some revenue to give us more time. The second thing was, of course, we had brand contracts in place, sure. and some of the brands pulled out at that point in time. But then, you know, kind of some of them came back again, and we figured out innovative ways to make money. So yeah. we kind of stretched that six months runway to a lot longer. The team took salary cuts, all unfiltered, right? I'm telling you now, yeah. but that was the reality of that time, right? So. Yeah. when i look back i think what uh, it's it all boils down to the team yeah right and i think it's about being transparent with the team and having the team basically being with you in that journey yeah um and that's really what i think helped keep us afloat to the right answer that it turned out to be for all of us yeah no i remember i think uh, you know i think when i was at somato and this was 2015 was our worst year right and i remember i wasn't even making all that money <laughs> but i was just like they need a, they need us to take a salary cut and let's do it right and it, it compounded right like it paid off but i think just having a team that really has your back through the goods and the bads is i think super super critical um divya actually uh, divya going uh, has a follow up question i think since you mentioned it was that that period also must be tough so she has a follow up question divya do you want to unmute your uh, self and maybe ask naya your question Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ragini. Um, so I think Naya, we always just hear and see on media the good side of everything. It's just victory after victory after victory. So one, it was great to hear about you know whatever you shared so far, but also just in specific moments where either community building is not going well, or performance marks not not going well, or hiring is not going well. Like, how does one kind of stay focused on macro and just get out of that moment? um and not kind of be really hard on yourself and be like i can't do this maybe i should just you know this is the end of the world i think that moment comes at all points in time that i think it's very very uh, uh i think very well asked uh I, you know I, i don't think there's ever a time where you know you feel like okay now things are sorted right as an entrepreneur and i think every you go into different stages right at different points in in, in life sometimes uh, a problem may seem bigger uh, than it actually is as well right so i think what helped me um kind of um i would say almost like um you know uh, ensure that i'm putting things in perspective is actually then completely disconnect uh <laughs> i have this you know i'm actually like you know in my heart i'm a hustler right i need things done yesterday or day before right but sometimes i realize it's better to completely disconnect uh and to delay some decisions uh because those actually help me make better choices Uh, and on that note, I should have locked my door because my daughter has come to say hello. <laughs> so, Hi, give me. 
Hello, hello. Give me one minute. This is this is where you lose the whole concentrated working from home problem. The thing I just talked about. Give me one second. I'll just be back. I'll just get no, her no uh, in a not. Divya, where are you based out of? Which part of the country? Ah, uh, Bangalore. Okay, amazing. And you guys are doing a phenomenal job. So thank you so much, Ragini and thank team. Thank you. Thank you. Needed to hear that today. <laughs> Sorry about that. No. So yeah, yeah. So I think that's what I do. I disconnect and I delay, uh, and I think that helps me put things in perspective. I also sleep. Uh, I realize like nothing. I, I mean, for me, it's like a good night's sleep. I just like I, you know, like I I don't read anything on entrepreneurship. I need nothing on like real like I I don't read any like any books. I just go back to reading like my comfort reads of like an Agatha Christie, and I'll just put myself to bed. um so that's how i do that's how i do things yeah i mean like that works for me uh, i know other people do different things they work out uh, they'll go out for a meal they'll you know go for a short break whatever whatever works for you but trash tv and whatever trash tv you. a lot of reality tv works for a yeah. lot of my friends i know yeah. <laughs> so me too me too <laughs> i'm all for the trash <laughs> yeah but i think uh, the day it comes back to this right i think uh, uh, you know when you're doing something you really have conviction in right just like you know take the time out to put your like to just reset your eyes on that eventual goal and you know i think at that point in time the other thing it really helps me is thinking about the stories of folks that the work i'm doing has impacted uh that really keeps me going you know because i know that what i'm doing is 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 more than just what i'm getting out of it it's probably impacting folks who have reached out to me or reached out to my team and said this is how we've impacted them for the better right so i think i recollect those stories as well and that really is a source of a lot of strength Got it. Thank you so Bye. much, Naya. Awesome. Ah, uh, you know, I think very interesting. We always talk about sleeping over it and like just making better decisions the next day. Ah, uh, you know, but then of course, Naya, there are longer periods, right? There, there are times where you can't just sleep over it, where it's just prolonged. And Advitya, actually, interesting name. Advitya had a question. Um, and her question is, how did the pandemic impact your business? Ah, uh, because you were right in the middle of it, right? Like you were right in the middle of a Merger conversation could like a deal that's just not gone through. So, what were the pros and cons, and how did you pivot at that point? Um, like you said, like there were few things we cut, few things we did. So, what was that period like? The March to August, if I may. You know, uh, I think that period was actually a period of uh, uh, of I think a lot of uh, obviously good things and also like really difficult times. I, I've talked a bit about the difficult times, and I think. <laughs> the good thing that happened was you know the the product that we so okay so uh, the bad thing that happened was the product we launched amazon shut if you remember like it went back to saying only essentials will be delivered right so everybody was kind of like scurrying around trying to get stuff in essentials fortunately baby products came into the essentials category in time right so we kind of saw this very beautiful and you know for the first time i think i saw uh this beautiful example of product market fit where my amazon me and my then chief of staff anvita we were together at like 3 am in the morning because our phones were buzzing with the sales of our products on amazon marketplace right and i can't tell you the feeling of you know like when you see pmf play out in sales it's like a different like high right and that happened for weeks weeks and you know we spent zero money we had zero money guys so we we spent zero money on marketing that's the part of again a community coming out and supporting us and saying okay we know the baby chakra brand we trust the baby chakra brand right 
So when people were searching for baby products, Baby Chakra was showing up. They were like, "Yeah, we know this brand already," and I don't know how, but they were going and buying it. So in fact, Amazon reached out. They blocked us. It's a crazy story. I haven't actually shared this before. They actually blocked our sales and our listings because they said we're doing some sort of like scam. Yeah, yeah. like that's not a jhol. Like you know, yeah. we call it jhol. Yeah. I actually had to figure out a connect to my McKinsey network. I remember this guy called Samir who was heading, uh, who was the director at Amazon. And I said, listen, it's us. We're not doing any jhol. It's genuine. It works. And then they kind of, you know, kind of like deal, like came back to our listing, and we had our listing back, and we were back in business. So I think it was one of the best times of our lives as well, you know, which was crazy yeah. uh, to think about it now, right? So I think some of those darkest times had some of like the best times as well, which was insane. There was this other thing that really came out very strongly. So you know, we uh, before that I was doing all this pitching with like you know companies and doctors. Like I would sit outside doctor clinics with my team and say, "Hey, you want to build a community of doctors?" And no one would take us seriously. They'd be like, "Are you a med rep?" No. Okay, then please get out of my <laughs> clinic, right? Yeah. Suddenly we had a lot of inbound from doctors because you remember that one in time, doctor clinic. The doctors are trying to they realize the importance of having a digital presence, right? And they said, "Okay, baby chakra is that platform, especially in pediatrics and gynecology, right, and also dermats to some extent, where I can build out my digital presence." So we suddenly had this influx of pharma companies and of doctor associations come in. So we struck some of the best partnerships then, and also revenue partnerships then, yeah, uh, which was a complete shift in behaviors. Right, which we saw happen overnight. So I think for us, in all of this, like honestly, really crappy situation, we had like these two incredible, incredible, I think, points in our journey. I think the third really inspiring thing, apart from team, was also seeing some of our shareholders come together and support us. Yeah. When I look back, right, oftentimes they're like, "Oh, it's a journey of the founder and the team." No, but it's also the journey of the investors. Yeah. Right, of the people, of the shareholders, right. And I remember the. Number of calls I would get. In fact, one of my shareholders, and I'm not kidding, would call me every morning, every morning at eight fifteen. Hey, how are you doing? Man Just checking in on you. I have to ask. I have to ask. It was actually a man. It was actually a man. Wow, incredible. Um, and you know, I am so grateful for some of these folks in my life because many times we talk about the quantity of money, but this is truly a reflection of the quality of money. And the quality of partnership you can have with shareholders who really, really have your back. So, yeah. I mean, I've seen the best and I've seen the worst. I think in that same period of time. So, you know, you're bringing back memories through your question, which uh, had kind of like faded, but like I mean, they're coming back and they're coming. Like, I- I'm really grateful. In for a good way. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you have a favorite investor? Just out of curiosity. I have many favorites. Yeah, uh, if I name one, I'm going to get into trouble. Let me go there. But you know, but I'll tell you, like in terms of like two folks, I'm really grateful to. One is uh, uh, Arihant Patni. Um, so Arihant actually backed me when uh, when like there was nothing, uh, yeah. and he's been like someone who's even today like we go have drinks, we talk about business, we you know is he's just been like an, a really strong ally yeah. and a sponsor. Right, he's talked about me in places where I've never had access to earlier. Right, so that's given me opportunities which I never even knew about. I could have, yeah. and the other person is a, a friend who's to an investor called Karan Maheshwari, uh, who's you know become a very dear friend through the process as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, these two I'd, I'd really say have been amazing, amazing partners uh, through this journey. Yeah, no, I love what you said. I think sometimes you also forget uh, those folks are also people, right? It's, it's yeah, their company sometimes as much as. it's the founders but you know there's also the other side to it there's also a side with the hockey stick growth and you know i think crazy as valuations how do you and i think a member had this question how do you 
kind of stay true to your audience if you have insanely crazy sales targets to compete and also you know is it even bad is it a bad thing <laughs> is it is it bad thing to chase scale to chase big numbers and where do you kind of draw the line you know i think the conversation has changed right hasn't yeah. it i mean i think for the better <laughs> i mean apart from the fact that there are a lot of market corrections happening i think people are now coming back to the basics they're talking about fundamentals talking about unit economics right you know like <laughs> revenue they're talking about it's like the business you have to make money <laughs> yeah yeah so i think the conversation has changed and i'm very happy to be actually building in these times now because you're absolutely right maybe like four years back there were these even three years back these crazy numbers being banded around which were completely unreasonable and like completely ridiculous and i don't know where those numbers were coming out from probably like an ex consultant spreadsheet uh, but uh, so nice, right nice, nice one <laughs> right but i mean that's the whole point right people who've never built businesses were giving these numbers out yeah so i think there is definitely been a correction not just in of course valuations but also correction in uh, the way we do business right and we're going back to fundamentals i think the other piece to it is you know as companies that have the uh, that have the vision and have the ambition to be public one day i think the retail investors and the retail market in india is very clearly pronounced itself to be a market that values profitability over everything else yeah right uh, and they look at and they're happy with conservative growth right they have they want growth obviously but yeah. they're happy with conservative growth as long as you're cash rich as a business yeah. which is great for companies overall So I think you know when you're kind of working back with com- from companies and from shareholders who basically have the aspiration to take the company public, or you're looking at the next round of valuation, you know everywhere there's been a correction in attitudes and approaches, right? So I think right now we're in a much more uh, I think uh, uh, a much more sensible time. Yeah, yeah. Aditi actually has a follow-up question, right? I think it's on just uh, building a consumer brand. Aditi, do you want to unmute and ask your question, Atunai, yourself? Hi guys, so so great. Really enjoying the session. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, so you know, I was just curious as a product-based consumer brand. You know, I do run a product-based consumer brand. It feels like building a community has become an inevitable part of building a brand today. But uh, a company that is you know bootstrapped, how do we really navigate or uh, you know direct our resources? Aditi, what's your company called? It's called Kivion. It's a teen innerwear brand. For young girls, age nine to nineteen. How cool! That's really fab. I'd love to know more. We'll chat. But uh, you know, yeah, I'd love to know more. See, I, you know, I think um, the two ways of looking at community building, right? And if the first question you have to ask yourself is, why do you want to have a community around what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I mean, you know, for us, for instance, it's about uh, you know, Baby Chakra was a different journey, right? We actually started the community that actually emerged into a product brand. right uh, and the way we that worked very seamlessly because the community actually co-created our products with us we literally we sit in working group sessions with our community members and kind of build products out literally from fop on the packaging bop ingredient selection you know in the final formulations the experience the aesthetics the everything right um down to like hey which um which certifications do you want to see in fop versus bop how do you want to price the product so everything was community co-created right with mothers and doctors um and that of course is a lot of effort but i think it paid off when you see sort of the organic traction it took out um but that's because we started community first now the other the flip side to it is what i'm seeing now with 
what we're doing at Glam Fam or with Sirona Circle or with Organic Squad, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. Which are kind of like communities being built around our product brands, right? So just to give you some context, the good community we're building are the world's largest brand communities, right? Uh, and we are building out access to more than 20 million community members across deep interest and hyper-local. So deep interest being Glam Fam would be inclusive beauty. Sirona Circle would be positive sexuality and like, you know, knowing everything about intimate care and health, right? Organic squad is about sustainable living, right? So deep interest communities and we do deep, like we go, of course, like levels down within it. I think what we're learning there is that, you know, you have to figure out your first set of customers who are really passionate about what your brand stands for and the mission of your brand, right? There, every brand is a mission, right? There's a reason you exist, not just about your product differentiation, but there's a reason you chose to build this product out, right? And if you don't, then please go back and like think about what that mission could be, right? And then you find people who are like early evangelists or early adopters or power purchasers, right? Those are your starting points on building out a community. Uh, and I think that really works well. Uh, because when you reach out to them and you're like, hey, what do you love about the mission of this? Or like, what appeals to you about this? I think you get a lot more insight. I think when you co-opt them into uh, your first set of community users, then you figure out more of those like-minded, um, you know, potential community members. In fact, many of them become evangelists to bring in more community members. And that becomes like, you know, a referring, self-sustaining, organically growing community by itself. So I've seen that sort of backward journey kind of play out really effectively. We're seeing this play out right now as I speak, actually. Um, and I think to answer your question, does it make sense? I think it all depends on what is your aspiration, right? I mean, you could have like, there's so many like, there's like so many consumer brands like Fog and I don't know what else, right? They've never built communities around it. Like no one really cares like about a community around that proposition, but they do it very well, right? But at the other, on the flip side, you also have like companies like Xiaomi, on you know uh you know a one plus or you have communities like boat now right mm-hmm. or you have communities like lego globally right or glossier that have really really sort of harnessed and been able to channel in the power of community and grow uh in in ways that they never even imagined so, so much so that they become almost like um like cult brands right that are there for for forever so i think it depends on which way you want to go um and every entrepreneur has like 15 different priorities like you to figure out which battle to fight first Correct, correct, absolutely. Thank you, thank you so much for taking that up. I have a follow-up on Agati's question, Naya, and I'll, I'll be honest, right? I think everyone today wants to build a community, right? It's the new buzzword, I think, in the last two years, especially more than ever than we've ever seen. Um, I just want to ask you, just from your lens, right? Um, does every product even need to have a community? Uh, you know, the, there are, of course, lots of communities, and we see today a lot of Sure, there's one side where communities are building products, but there, there are also products that, that are trying to build communities around it. And right from the fogs to the Nicobars to everyone. So how important is it really to build a community? And can you be a brand without a community? I mean, you could be a brand without a community the same way you could build a brand without Amazon and without a D2C website at one point in time. Yeah. Right. I mean, I truly believe and I genuinely, genuinely believe yeah. that communities are the future of the internet. Mm-hmm. Right. If you look at the way and you talk to anybody, right, globally, I think everybody aligns that the way the world is shifting, it's going to come back to a point where it's going to go back to um, communities really being the source of truth. Right. And those conversations being the source of truth. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we've sort of seen different waves of this. I think it goes back again to Ragini thinking about what battle do you want to fight when? Right. Um, you know, um, I'll give you an example. Right. I think in the early days, 
when you're trying to get to, um, you know, product market fit with your product, right? You have two choices as an entrepreneur, right? You can actually co-create. And I think your chances of finding product market fit and early evangelism actually exponentially increase, right? Because you're already starting from where the consumer needs are and you're already figuring out an early base of evangelists, right? So I think it's a great time to start building a community from get-go, right? However, at that point in time, and, and, and there's no reason not to, like you don't need money to actually talk to people and to have them kind of co-create the product with you, right? You don't need any money for that. You need time. Yeah. You need maybe money for coffee chats at best, right? Yeah. So there's no excuse not to. However, if you go down a direction where you say, hey, my community is, uh, 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 you know, like where you um, uh, where you basically say, okay, I'm going to launch the product first. And I'm going to get feedback based on that because I have such an expert-based perspective on the product itself and this being a missing gap that I know as an expert, it'll meet in the market. That's a different conversation and you can build the community around that later. Right? People who are kind of aligned to where you are, like how, for instance, uh, Kickstarter does, right? You you come in with a very differentiated innovation where people don't even know they have a need gap. And when you pretty much put the product out, you already have the seed of the idea and then you have people come, come in to fund it at that point in time, Yeah. right? So I think there are different approaches. Um, now, of course, like arguably, like, I mean, a Haldirams never built a community around what they did, right? Or Fog, they, or, or whatever, Hawkins, right? Or a Hawk, yeah, they never, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. they never did, right? But see, there were different times they were building in. Now, if you're a digital first brand, to not harness, I think, the power of organic evangelists yeah. and uh, folks who can actually give you unfiltered feedback real time, I think yeah. would be a big miss. Yeah. You know, I think since we're speaking about harnessing the power of organic uh, stuff, what what about what about the new generation, right? Like, let's let's talk about the Gen Zs. Let's talk about the Zillennials, as I've recently discovered, which is the 1993 to 2000 phenomena, and of course the Millennials, right? How do we, as a brand, and and then right now I'm just throwing this question for everyone, right? Like, folks building products, folks building communities, as a brand. How do you kind of cater to everyone? Is it is it important to kind of pick a niche and go after it and talk in a certain way? Because I think we've also learned like everyone talks differently, right? So how do you really think about that as a brand? Do you want me to answer or does someone else want to take that question? I think we're all uh, waiting for you to, to answer. Okay, so. let me answer. So I think you can't be everything to everybody. Yeah. Uh, you have to mean something really deep to a certain set of people. Um, and I think that's the value of communities today as well. You know, I think the big differentiation when people ask us, what are we doing at Good Communities is the deep interest, right? Um, and therefore in deep interest, naturally, I mean, you're already making a few assumptions, right? People who are online, right? Or women who are online, right? Uh, women who are interested in inclusive beauty, women who are basically uh, looking at having conversations and are here to either connect, get inspired, learn or earn, right? Those are the four tenets of community building that we've identified for ourselves, yeah. right? So, I mean, you're already kind of making, um, you know, subsets of subsets of subsets of subsets, right? Um, and the formats we're using are we're also naturally assuming women have a smartphone, right? There's a, a certain sort of, they have a certain data connection, you know? So actually when you're building out a community, you've already done so many filters um, and I think it's important to do those filters because that's when you get to the community that really needs you, that values you and will be co-creating with you. Um, and I think it's not about quantities anymore. You know, there was this time where I remember we made a mistake at Baby Chakra and I'll tell you about it. There was a time where, you know, this is whole, like the, the whole China influx, 
Yeah. Remember, there was a lot of money coming in from China. It was all about like massive numbers, and you massive. know the whole, yeah, yeah, the whole Bharat story, yeah. and everybody was like, "Oh, I'm in like 15 different regional languages," yeah. and we had voice to text. We had all of that. Yeah. Right. I think the one thing we found, and you know, we did like this whole thing about we opened up, and you know, we said, "Okay, you know, like male men, fathers," and you know, I do fundamentally believe in equal parenting, right? And we had these early snippets of dads coming in and like really engaging. very well with our community we said oh let's make a journey in hindi for fathers right and that will open up like massive scale for our community yeah. we did that we got massive scale but we also got a lot of massive like obscene messages and we got yeah. like massive like hey how are you doing hi beautiful and all sorts of you know stuff that wasn't community aligned not mission aligned not values aligned right and not everybody was doing that there were of course amazing dads who were speaking and asking questions in hindi Yeah. Uh, two doctors and saying, "Mere, you know, my my wife is expecting. I don't have a doctor in my village. What do I do now? She's potting, etc." So there were these fathers as well. But I think what we realized was that our product was not set up. We didn't have the moderation tools. We were not mission aligned, and we were not set up to cater to this demographic at scale. So scale is not always good. Yeah. Right. So we actually had to close that vertical down. Um. And you know, I think that's the big thing about like going back to you know the tenets of building trust. You have to say more no's than yes when you're building community. Yeah, don't don't try to be everything for everyone. You just can't. You yeah. simply can't. So yeah. I, and you know I remember like uh, that point in time my team used to have very heated discussions with me about quality over quantity. Oh right? my god! Uh, you know we banned the word quality <laughs> here in office. Yeah. So I mean it's always been about that, and I think um, yeah I think that that's been a big learning for me. I think it's been a big insight for me. So now we look at like we really look at saying okay who do, who do we mean most to. who do we stand for who connects best with us and we with them yeah and how do you how do you control that quality um is there a monetization tool that's in place is there a moderation tool you mentioned a moderation tool and i mean how- moderation is the hard yeah. blood of businesses community right i mean i think moderation is also about setting you know i often say this communities are like a party you enter right you enter a party and there's certain sort of normative structures that you see play out yeah right and what are those like on linkedin you know you kind of see people already saying hey why are you posting a picture of you like uh, in brazil or whatever right i mean like you're not you're parting like this is linkedin now where is this where is that where is that conversation even coming from where is that moderation even coming from yeah. because linkedin is a professional network right there is a certain set of norms and behaviors that you're used to and you kind of acknowledge when the minute you set up an account on linkedin in, implicitly linkedin is not saying i'm a professional network and behave professionally yeah it's a it's the behavior you see of people around you right it's your brand credit your personal brand credibility your trust So similarly, on the communities that we are part, that we create, right? How do you ensure in the onboarding process the new joinees get an experience, extremely important experience of yeah. understanding norms, cultures, behaviors, and values yeah. of the existing community members there, right? You kind of over-indexing on that, and I think that is an extremely important part of the onboarding process because that sets the way, the tonality of the conversation that happens. Right. Yeah. The best answer for a community is one that self-moderates versus having like an admin step in and say, "Hey, please stop." Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think all of us have that experience, right? So for me, that is the best answer, and that only happens if you have a really good onboarding experience. Yeah, you know, Sonam has a question, and like I, I fully agree. By the way, I think we call it the happy path internally. How do you create like an impeccable first six months at least, right? And and then just they just copy the best behavior. uh but sonam has a question on churn and sonam do you want to maybe unmute and ask and good to see you after so long oh man yeah feels so good to see you after so long 
Uh, Naya, thank you so much for the session. It actually opens a lot of uh, knots in my head around community. Uh, one of the questions I had was around churn. I mean, I know that churn is important and some churn is good as well. But how do you ensure that, you know, you're able to one, cap that churn and are able to ensure that people want to stay engaged and are retained on the community? So Sonam, I think it's a great question. I think you have to come back to saying, okay, what is the benchmark that for a healthy churn? Because churn is inevitable and it's normal, right? And I think sometimes it's like you've solved the problem. That's why they've churned, right? Um, so it depends on the kind of community you're building as well, right? Um, but I think what you have to look at is first set the benchmark, right? Because I think as founders, we're like, oh my God, this person left. Is that okay? And no, it's okay. You know, so you have to figure out like what the benchmark for your community at a healthy level of churn would be. Uh, and you can do a lot of comp analysis and benchmarking or like just basically apply common sense for yourself and your team and basically say this this is the kind of churn metric we we believe we want to improve to, right? Um, I think what you do then is uh, you have to figure out again, I think go back to the past history of that user. Uh, ideally, you should have that data on that user and say, you know, I'll give you an example as well, like to put things uh, less theoretical and more practical. You know, what we realized was um, earlier on and as an example of churn, was that we were like, oh, you know, someone is very high on Daomao, right? That person's not going to churn, right? That was the assumption because, you know, high engagement and high frequency of engagement will lead to high retention. What we realized was people were coming in, asking all the questions, right? They had all the doubts clarified. So the first seven, eight, 10 days was high frequency of, you know, of, of engagement. And then they were churning. So what we realized was people who were coming and asking, like I said, 10, 15, 20 questions in the first seven weeks were coming into problem solve and churning. So we then had to make an internal decision as a team. Do we want those people to come back? If you've solved their problems, right? So we'd reach out to some of them and say, hey, do you want to come back and experience the other parts of the app, right? Where you can get like daily tips for like what you need to know for later, or you want to connect, like, you know, so connect, inspire, learn, earn, right? So which, like, do you want to experience these other pieces, right? Now of that, we would see about 35 to 40% people actually returning and exploring because it gotten some value out of the first experience. They were willing to consider. Some of them did not return. Right. So those 60% we'd say, okay, they're done. We've solved the problem. We're not going to get them back. You know? So I think you have to also figure out like who's churning, why are they churning, and what behaviors were they exhibiting before they were churning. Right. So you can draw patterns and you can draw insights and then base your strategy on reaching out to them accordingly. So what we started doing was you all start saving money. Right. Because we said, okay, when you're sending out a CRM, you're sending out a push notification, you're having a community manager call, all of this is expenses, right? So then you start becoming really smart about who in that segment of community churning do you really want to reach out to because they're the best propensity to come back. Um, so I think, you know, using that, you know, using that data, using the insights, using a kind of a comp benchmarking on churn, I think gives you a lot of like understanding and on whether you like, whether you want to bring back people who've churned as well. That's very helpful. I mean, I think it gives a very new perspective to say, hey, did we really solve the problem? And would they want to come and experience other parts of it? Because yeah, maybe some people do not really know that they can get answers to other things or maybe do something else in the community. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. also timing, yeah. right? Like some, so I think also knowing when to back off. I think that's yeah. also very, very important. Like we can keep going on and telling them, come back, come back, come back in different ways and better words. But I think sometimes it's also about timings and just knowing when to stop and we'll come back eventually. I fully agree with that, actually. I mean, like, uh, uh, and, you know, that's one of the big mistakes we did earlier on because, you know, again, we didn't, we didn't sort of, uh, you know, the cohortize the churn uh, and we basically reach out to everybody. 
And then we realized that people were getting pissed off. They were like, stop contacting me. I'm done. I've solved my problem. Like, what more? Like, what do my child is five? I don't need Devi Chakra, for instance, right? Or I'm done. Like, you know, whatever. So I think that's the other important piece. I think Ragini makes an excellent point. Like, I think the more you get to know who your customer is or your community member is and what their motivations were for joining, I think that's when you realize, do they want to come back or not? Um, that gives you definite insights. Tina raised her hand. Um, so, and, and I know we have three, four minutes left. So Tina, you can ask your question and then we'll take one last question after that. Thank you. Um, hi, Naya. Fantastic insights. Uh, just wanted to ask, and you mentioned that, you know, having an organic uh, set of advocates for your brand is a good thing. Uh, give me an example of somebody who was disillusioned and, you know, possibly started to impact the others on the community as well. And how did Baby Chakra handle that? Because that aspect of, uh, you know, a community is very less spoken about. So good to hear some best, best practices there. So, you know, Tina, I mean, I think uh, it's, again, a great question. And I think we go through this very often, right? Unfortunately, unfortunately. And I think uh, what it does, it actually holds a mirror to ourselves. Uh, many times right so what I end up doing is and depending on the kind of um, disillusionment that's come in like sometimes it might just be like oh you know and it's, it's a bit tricky especially when you have a brand community now so there might be like a disillusionment around oh my order didn't reach me on time so I'm pissed off at everybody right now that's a different kind of a problem statement to yeah. solve versus someone saying you know what there was a big values mismatch in the conversation that's going on right now from what the community stands for and how is this being tolerated right so there are all these levels. So I think first, I think as, as a team and as founders, we have to basically understand where on the spectrum of disillusionment or discontentment with the community experience it falls on. And then, you know, kind of like allocate it accordingly to the relevant right team who can solve for it, right? I think the key principles, however, are two. One is speed, right? Sometimes you just have to be extremely speedy about addressing someone who's truly discontented for a real reason and also for a not so real reason. Number two, authenticity and an ability to own up to a mistake that might have happened, right? Multiple times, I have personally apologized and I said, I'm so sorry, you know, if my team has made a mistake, I've made this mistake or I've made this mistake or we weren't good enough, right? I think these two things are extremely important uh, because, you know, I think in communities, things don't just blow over, right? If you don't address them, they it's snowballs. It's yes. snowballs. Absolutely yeah. right, right? Yeah. It's snowball. So I think speed and I think an ability to admit to an honest mistake, uh, be obviously thoughtful about how you phrase your terms and your words, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, also, I mean, obviously, like I'm a lawyer, so I kind of like phrase it accordingly as well. <laughs> but like be thoughtful about it, but also be genuine about, about it and also then go back and correct it internally. Um, so I think these two pieces really have seemed to work for us so far. Thank you. And I think just adding to what Naya said, right, she put it very beautifully, but also closing the loop when you have, I think we, we had a recent incident, right, and then it just meant like owning up and then going and telling them what also went down and closing the loop on what the next steps are. I think that's also super important. I, I love that, Ragini, and I think that's also actually a great way to go back and tell people that we really care about, you know, like the whole sort of, in the very beginning, I talked about like showing you care consistently yeah, and show, showing your values aligned consistently, going back and saying, we made this change because the feedback we got. And if it happens like two weeks later, people are like, wait, these folks actually listened to me. They actually made that change happen, yeah. right? That creates a feeling of delight 
Uh, and it's an important feeling to constantly create in community, right? And a feeling of trust that I'm being heard and I'm being valued. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a beautiful point Ragini makes just there. I think one last question. I know uh, you have a hard stop at 8 p.m., but I have to ask, right? I think um, you know why. Why I was telling Sonam that knowing when to stop is communities, whatever said and done, all hearts, love, fun, and games can be exhausting, can be tiring, right? Um, and there is sometimes a fatigue that kind of sets in after some time. How how do you overcome it, right? Like, you know, I. I I've been doing this for what eight years now, Ragini, uh, in multiple formats, right? Multiple ways. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think you go back to saying not everybody obviously set out to be or wants to be a community builder. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of a lot of give. Right. You have to give a lot of yourself to it, right? Um, and it's exhausting, emotionally, mentally, physically, and not just for me. Imagine my team. you know imagine my community managers imagine the community champs i mean they it's exhausting right but i think what and and therefore i i i genuinely think uh being someone in the community business is someone who's uh who's extremely highly evolved because you know when i look at my community managers right uh you know having that level of patience having that level of uh, you know creativity having that level of empathy at the same time knowing data you know i i have a lot of respect for community managers um and you know therefore it has to be a passion for people to take up community management it's not something that can come lightly to people right um uh, and therefore i think it's really important uh that now communities are finally converting into something more than just like passion now translating into something that can really create disproportionate value for businesses for the community itself right um I think that's the transition I see happening, which makes me very excited about the future of community. Because you know, earlier there were a lot of passionate community members, managers, but they were never able to find ways to monetize communities or to make big, valuable businesses out of communities. Because eventually, that's what you need to do to keep it sustained, right? I mean, you can't just keep on growing it like this, right? So now I see the transition finally happening, where it's a beautiful juxtaposition of creating value but also deriving value, and I, that makes me very excited about the future for communities now. And with that, we're almost actually we are at time, and not even almost at time. Naya, thank you so much. I think for the last sixty minutes, absolutely wonderful. I've taken lots of notes, uh, uh, but I'm sure I'm speaking for all our members. It was very authentic, no filter, as you promised. 